All right, welcome everybody to Crystal Kyle and Friends. I am Kyle. This is Crystal. I will be stepping out in a moment for this interview. So Crystal will be talking to Philion, who's uh, an interesting YouTuber. He's been covering this uh, Andrew Tate stuff and the rise of the Manosphere. And uh, Crystal's going to dive into all the details about what that world is like with yeah. this guy who's been immersed in it. I've only like dipped my toe into it. Obviously, I'm not like the target audience. So I really, just, you don't say. <laughs> I just became aware that this even really existed in the past several months. Yeah. And I'm kind of fascinated. I'm fascinated by the players. I'm pa- fascinated by the peel. I'm fascinated by like the sex trafficking. <laughs> Yes, yes. You're all too. over it for the sex trafficking. Yes, I'm in it for the sex trafficking. Yeah. Yes, that's that's the the anyway. There's a lot to lot to talk to him about. I'm also just curious about like the development of his channel and what he's up to over there because he doesn't only focus on manosphere stuff. He does a lot of wide ranging, really interesting and entertaining content. So there you go. Anyway, before we get to that, it is time for the discourse, Crystal. Yeah. I've been chomping at the bit to get to this one, but yeah. it would have been I, I was better to talk about it to you than just do my own rant on it. Right, but um. Gas stoves. Apparently mm. gas stoves are now the big uh, culture war argument going on around the country. Yeah. So I'll, I'll catch everybody up. I'm sure people have been following the discourse to one extent or another. But so a big study uh, just dropped and it was let me give you it's a very official journal, if I don't say so myself. So it's a peer reviewed study published in the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health. And they found that um Gas stoves, if you have a gas stove in your house, it's not good. It's provably not good health-wise. So 12.7% of childhood asthma in the U.S. is because of gas stoves. Wow. So to give you a specific number, it's about 650,000 cases of childhood asthma are directly attributable to the gas stove. That's insane. No, it really is. So they also say they found that uh, these things leak methane even when they're turned off. And so... They also lead to other, like, serious respiratory issues that people have. Wow. Um, and we have a gas stove, too, by the way. We do, and, and I had one growing up. had one in in, uh, in New York. Uh, I have one in the place in New York now. I mean, it's just... And, and by the way, there, I saw a good map on this. It's like the West Coast, and I want to say, like, Illinois and the Northeast are the only places that have majority gas stoves. Yeah. Which was interesting. I, I had no idea that was the case. Apparently, the reason in the Northeast is because that's like the oldest area where the infrastructure is built out. Right, yeah. And you know how we used to have those, like, gas lights, like lamps? Uh-huh. And the wiring for that pre-existing is the reason why so many homes here. And so it's this total, like, sort of fluke legacy historical right, reason yeah. that we have it. Like, my mom's house is from, like, 1900 or 1910 or something, and it's got, you know, the gas stove. Yeah. Um. Now, they also they say, I read one article that mentioned cancer as well. That there's a link between the gas stoves and cancer. Yeah. And so this is what came out, right? And there were some like little feelers put out there and some media outlets were basically saying like, oh, you know, the government's maybe looking into, to, you know, getting rid of these, banning these. And um, I mean, it led to Total a giant colossal backlash. But what I found, so there's a bunch of things I find really interesting about this, but like, I don't think any of the people who were circling the wagons around gas stoves, I don't think any of them even saw the original thing that led to the outrage. All I think they saw was from conservative outlets, they say, like, government considering banning gas stoves with, like, no context whatsoever. Yeah. Like, headlines that say that. And so then they act like this is. So it's gotten to the point where, so you have, who was it, Jim Jordan, who tweeted, gods, guns, gas stoves. <laughs> 
Matt Gates tweeted like, "Take it from my cold dead hands," and oh it was a picture God. of the of the gas stove oh, of the gas stove. And then now Ron DeSantis is selling merch with gas stove stuff on it. Like, don't don't that tread guy, on my gas stove. Some shit like that. That guy, there is not a culture war. Oh, fight he won't jump. He's immediately on top of. Yeah. Shamelessly. So, but like, as but I, I saw Joe Manchin also tweeted. Manchin too. See, which that, was another level because he also has like fossil fuel of course, money. There's right. like a financial interest there yeah. as well. Yeah. But like, so this this instinct of people to immediately like, no, no, keep, keep it like it is, keep it like it is. That is like the textbook definition of the reactionary instinct, mm-hmm. right? Like something happens, you're like, no, 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 I don't like that, no. And like in my personal life, in my private life, I get that kind of a reaction because change is annoying to somebody who's very organizational and and, and structure driven and likes a schedule and stuff like that. I'm, I'm very temperamentally conservative. Yes. So I get it on that front. But when you're talking about politics, when you're talking about a study comes out that says 650,000 cases of childhood asthma are a direct result of the gas stove and it leaks methane even when it's off and it causes cancer and it causes other respiratory issues and there's fine particulate matter that's over, all over your house as a result of these things. Uh, for the life of me, I don't understand how these people are this stupid. Because, but now here's the thing. If, if there was no, like, we don't have anything that can replace it, then I kind of get like, yeah, then it's a much harder conversation, right? right. Like, what do you, because this thing is so useful, but then there's also the downside. So, but we have other options. Right. And the other options, like people were, were bitching about like, oh, electric stoves are terrible, bro. And it's like, oh, oh, it's going to take you 12 extra seconds to cook your soup. Man the fuck up. Like, that's fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, I actually like them better, by the way. I, I like electric stoves better. I was going to say, I even before I knew about this research and the health impacts, I wanted to switch to an electric stove only because they're easier to clean. The gas stove, you got to take the thing off and whatever. They're it's like cooler. A, it's they're like cooler. a pain in the ass to clean. And so that was my that was my wish and desire. So in my mind, they were already superior. So I didn't have an emotional, deep emotional attachment to my gas stove. Apparently, like some chefs will claim that gas stoves cook better or whatever. Like people are really super into cooking. I don't know anything about that. But what I can tell you is that, you know, they there's this radical libertarian notion that the government shouldn't like be involved in regulating anything. The free market will basically sort it out if your stove is giving you cancer and asthma, et cetera. That's obviously ludicrous. It's not even a belief most people hold. And when you look at other examples like regulating lead paint or regulating asbestos, it becomes really clear that the government has always played this central role and helping to, you know, whether products are safe and whether they belong in your it home, what to. we can do to keep children safe in particular, because they're the most like vulnerable and innocent among us. So to just knee jerk, be like, absolutely not without before you even consider the benefit and what it would mean. I don't and, think any of these people even know, Chris. I don't think any of them saw the study. I don't think any of them know the numbers. I don't think any, like to your point. Yeah, if it came out today that we just learned asbestos is bad, we're not going to use asbestos anymore, that would become a culture war issue, and every idiot on the right would be like... You'll pry oh, the asbestos pry the out asbestos of my cold, my cold dead, dead hands. hands. Exactly, or um, <laughs> or unleaded gasoline. Remember, there was some massive study that came out in like the 70s or the 80s that found that there is a direct correlation between the amount of lead in the air as a result yeah. of using the leaded gasoline and the crime rate. It messes with your your you know your, your whole... All the systems in your body and makes yeah. people have a shorter fuse and flip out more and go to anger quicker. And they, they were able to prove this. 
and then they got the the uh, leaded gasoline out of here, and then yeah, the crime rate went back down. And so yeah, you look at that, and you're like, if this happened today, this same clown car, Matt Gaetz, Jim Jordan, Ron DeSantis, all the conservative commentators, they would be like leading the charge, like we love asbestos. We'd be selling shirts that say asbestos yeah. or leaded gasoline <laughs> yeah. on it, and it's like, and they'd so, act like they had some deep long-standing emotional attachment no, to it's, whatever it is. It's the classic reactionary instinct. Yes. You want to change something, even if it's a little bit, and there's a perfectly fine replacement? I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with that. It's actually, in, in a funny way, bear with me on this. It strikes me as like, it's a it's a reverse Karen move. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, the, ca- the yeah, Karen yeah. thing people say, like yeah. the uptight liberal lady, like yeah. you are the Karens of the right. Yeah. It's also a very radical anti-government notion. It ties in with, you know, now that um, the Republicans are back in control in the House. I mean, they've not just gone full back to Tea Party, but it's like Tea Party on steroids. And you have some lady who's new in Congress saying, like, taxation is theft and just totally radical anti-government fringe ideology that is completely in vogue within the hardest right faction of the Republican Party, with most of the Republican Party, frankly. And this like fits right in with that, too, where it's like government doesn't belong even on something that has a really clear, measurable safety impact on thousands of children. Even there, we think the government should just be hands off and let people do whatever. So let me ask you a question. One of the things I tweeted the other day watching this all fall out is... Even if a study came out that said 97% of all cancers are because of gas stoves being in your house, I still think they would react the exact same way. I agree. Because they would just discount the study. They'd say it was fake. They'd say they don't believe it. They have a gas stove and they didn't get cancer. Some anecdote about like, my cousin has an electric stove and that actually gave her cancer or whatever. Like there would be a whole... There'd be a whole conservative outrage machine and denial machine that would kick into gear. And yeah. Now, meanwhile, I think they would be like dramatically at odds with most American people, but it's like the hardest, most committed fringe of the party that drives most of the politics on that side. So, yeah. I I never understood. There are some people who are committed to tradition for tradition's sake. Like tradition is good by its nature. Yeah. And it's like there was a time when, you know, back in ancient societies where it'd be like child sacrifice was the tradition. And it's like if somebody tried to change that, yeah. would be like, this is how we've always done it, how my forefathers have done it and their forefathers have done it. And it's like I, none of these people take what I would call like a historical view, which is like, let's fast forward 200 years, assuming everybody's still around. Yeah. How would they look back at this moment, this current political fight? And in the same way that we all look back at the asbestos issue or the leaded gasoline issue, and like, it's just a, it's just a duh. It's just like, how idiotic would you have to be to be on the other side of this issue? They don't see that with this thing with the gas stove. I don't even connect it so much to an attachment to certain traditions because in a way I could sort of respect that more. Like this is the way we've done things for generations and this matters to me. This is just, it is just purely right. No one has a tradition of a gas stove, right? They're not like, Oh my, this is what my family has done for generations. It's just like, no liberals say this, the government wants to do that, that therefore I'm on the other side. That's it. I don't think it has anything to do with like deep attachment to gas stoves over many generations. By the way, final point. Um, I've seen so many tweets from conservatives that seem to sincerely believe that any potential move from the government here, which by the way, now Biden trashed it because he saw the backlash. Yeah. Which is the saddest thing I've ever heard. He's such a cuck. But I've seen so many tweets 
that indicate these people sincerely believed if the government were to act on this, it would be a retroactive ban right. of gas stoves. That they were kind of come in your house. You have to literally have a room temperature IQ to believe that that would ever be on the table considering the amount of manpower you would need in order to 35 to 40 percent of households in the in the country have gas stoves. Do you have any idea? The man, you, over 100 million people, you would need jackbooted government thugs to bust down the door in over 100 million Americans' <laughs> homes and drag out a kitchen appliance. How dumb do you have to be to think, that's what's coming, bro. That's what's coming. That's what I'm really afraid of. I'm not afraid of these private health insurance companies, which as a direct result of them denying care, 45,000 Americans die every year. I'm not worried about that at all. I'm not worried about all the medical bankruptcies. I'm not worried about real problems. I'm worried about the government taking my gas stove. Right. And some of, and many of these people, by the way, don't even have gas stoves. Of but course. But they're, they're outraged yeah. anyway. Yeah, they're virtue signaling like they do. Yeah. I mean, I can't. I can't. This, this stuff drives me crazy, Crystal. Cause it's like, there are times where I, I feel like, yeah, if, if we do the work, if we try hard enough, if we make the right arguments, we're going to get through to a lot of these people and we're going to change their mind. Then there's moments like this where I'm just like, what am I supposed to do? Right. How am I supposed to work with you? If, this, if you think the government's going to do a retroactive gas stove ban and take over 100 million gas stoves out of your house. Like, I can't. That drives me crazy. Just remember, it's a very online conversation. And there were lots of normies out there in the world who, number one, were just even oblivious to the fact that this conversation were, was going on. Or number two, were like, well, what a, you know, has huge impact on asthma. That seems like a reasonable approach. And it's more than that. That's not even like, it's more than just that too, with the cancer and the fine particulate matter and the other respiratory illnesses. Like it's leaking poison all day. By the way, I'm so unsurprised by the study too, because I've always said, there's going to come a day where the microwave study comes out and it's like, anybody who's ever used a microphone, microphone, microwave once is dead. Like you're all going to die. You got seven minutes left. I'm going to be like, well, I kind of knew it. You're using like, I don't even know how it was like magic. It's voodoo. It's like, let's use uh, radiation in order to make your food up. It's done in 17 seconds. There's nothing, nothing weird about that. <laughs> Don't worry that. about it. It's yeah. fine. It's fine. Yeah. And then when that study comes out, I will immediately do a flip-flop and be like, from my cold, dead hands, yeah. bro. <laughs> like, I'm willing to take the risk. <laughs> All right. Shall we hear some more about uh, Mr. Santos, my favorite, if, if that is indeed his name, my favorite member of Congress? Oh, by the way, I don't think it's his name. Yeah, that's what you were saying. Yeah, I, actually I covered the story, report, which I'm shocked because so, I've been I've I've been carefully following the George Santos saga. So tell update me on that piece. So Patriot Takes, which is like a Democratic Oppo research, uh, yeah. group, and you know that they're not actually affiliated with the Democratic Party because they're decent at what they do. So mm. they have no connection whatsoever to the actual Democratic Party establishment. Okay. But um, they've been digging through all the whatever archives of George Santos stuff is out there, and uh, he gave a speech at some uh, Republican group event, and he, the guy who was introducing him said, George Santos, I knew you as, like, Anthony DeValder. I didn't know you as George Santos, but I guess George Santos, and he calls him up. Hmm. So at the very least, uh, we... It could be that George Santos is his real name and DeValder was the alias, or it could be the other, or it could be he's used seven, eight, nine names throughout his life. We don't know. I did see something about this a while back where it was like he used to go by DeValder, which was like his mother's maiden name or something like that. Yeah, but George is like the middle name or the first. Yeah. How do we so, know that's not made up either? You know, yeah. know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. this is a guy who committed but, check fraud in Brazil. Like he lies right. about everything. Well, and whether or not that's the genesis of the George Santos name and it really has some bearing in like his actual legal name, the fact of a person who like is just totally yeah, changing oh, their yeah. name around. This is my name. Yeah. That's for insane. this particular role, I've decided I'm going to be George Santos is indicative of some larger problems for him. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, we have the best lie or biggest lie yet well, because it's actually tangibly related to 
politics, and the law. So the biggest question for me with him has always been, where did this money come from? Because he put $700,000 supposedly of his own money into his congressional campaign. Um, And this is a man that very shortly prior to the congressional campaign was like getting, you know, kicked out of his apartments for non-payment and reporting relatively low earnings. And he was never able, when people have asked him about his business, to explain really what it does, to point to any real clients. So that's like, oh, suddenly you're a wealthy man and you're able to just plop 700K into your own campaign always seemed to me like the biggest question mark. And it, it appears the authorities are investigating these question marks as well. So we have some new clues as to where this money might have come from. This is from a, a guy named Tristan Snell, who is uh, at MainStreet.Law, so, and he's commentator MSNBC, CNN. Uh, and he also is uh, he's basing this off of a Washington Post report and sort of putting some pieces together here. So he says... Looks like George Santos's $700,000 donation to his own campaign may have been laundered money from a Ponzi scheme called Harbor City Capital, defrauded investors selling them fake stocks totaling over $17 million. New reporting from the Washington Post reveals that Santos received payment from Harbor City as late as April 2021. On April 20th, 2021, the SEC filed a complaint against Harbor City, accusing it of fraud. On May 11, 2021, so just one month later, Santos formed the Devalder organization. That's where he says he was getting the money from. When Santos then ran for Congress in 2022, he claimed the Devalder organization was his family's firm with over $80 million in assets under management. There is no proof of any kind that the Devalder org ever did any legitimate business. Santos claimed Devalder org paid him a $750,000 annual salary in 2021 and 2022. He then contributed $700,000 to his own campaign. He never mentioned Harbor City in any of his mandatory federal disclosure forms. The investigations into Santos will reveal the truth, but it very much appears that Santos took ill-gotten gains from the defrauded investors of Harbor City, parked them into Valder, and then used them for his campaign. He is not in a good position, let's just say. So basically, the allegation is he was somehow tied in with this um, just outright fraud that was being committed, this sort of Ponzi scheme where they're selling selling fake stocks. Bonds, fake bonds. This guy says stocks. I thought he corrected himself and said, no, 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 it's not stocks. It's whatever. It doesn't anyway, matter. Selling fake something. It's fake something. Um, here it says stocks. No, and then he goes on in the, within the next two tweets. He says, oh, I'm sorry, at the bottom. He uh, kind of corrects and said, correct, and they were fake bonds. Rather than stocks. There yeah. you go. Anyway, okay. And promissory, and promissory notes. Fake bonds and, and or promissory, promissory notes. Promissory notes yeah. rather than stocks, but they were fake. They promised security and high returns, invested in profit-making lead generation businesses, but in actuality, the money was pocketed or sent to other investors Ponzi style. So anyway. Involved in this fraud scheme, takes the money from it, puts it into this new business organization, Devalder, and then uh, sort of launders the money through Devalder and pays himself out and then uses that money in his own campaign. That's what this guy is putting together may have happened and may be an explanation for where this cash ultimately came from. Yeah, I think he's going to jail. I think he'll be in jail eventually. I think so, There's too much stuff. I mean, the Brazilian authorities opened up a new investigation into him. They couldn't find him previously, which is why they weren't pursuing him before, but I read one article said he committed $700 worth of uh, tax fraud. Another article said up to $1,200 worth of tax fraud with Brazil. Um, There's multiple issues with this. There's the issue of the fraud up front, like the Ponzi scheme up front. That's a crime in and of itself. Then there's the secondary issue of just putting all that money into your campaign, which is illegal the way that he did it, Mm -hmm. which would be a totally separate charge. And the other fact of the matter is just like with uh, like all his pathological lies to this point, there's definitely more 
not uncovered yet crimes that he's yes. committed. This guy is it's a it's a life of crime and it's a life of lies. Yeah. And so you can't you can only get away for so long. And uh, all these New York Republicans are now calling for him to step down because mm-hmm. New York is generally more of a blue state. But the Republicans did well in the last election. But this guy is just flat out super embarrassing to all the New York Republicans. So yes. and they're able to stand up and say, like, I'm not associated with this guy. This guy should step down. Um, that is pretty, putting some degree of pressure on the Republicans in D.C. But as you know, McCarthy made a deal with the devil here. And, you know, he's, hey, he you vote for us. me, I'm, I'm going to look the other way. All the stuff that happened, water under the bridge, dog, you're good. And so there are a lot of people setting themselves up to look very silly too. Like Matt Gates did this sort of almost like fawning interview with uh, Santos. He was filling in. Gates was filling in for Steve Bannon on the War Room podcast. Apparently, even Bannon was like, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was busy that day. (laughs) (laughs) Great guest for you, Matt. Enjoy this one. So anyway, I listened to a portion of it, and it was like, I mean, he was doing everything he could to let this guy off the hook and give him excuses and not press him on. Let me guess. Let me guess. Bro, whatever you think of me, bro, the Democrats are so bad. How did you know? How did you know? (laughs) Oh, good point, dog. (laughs) He asked him, like, he does ask him the question of, like, okay, well, where did the money come from? And Santos is Tell you where it didn't come from. I saw that one. Yeah. Didn't come from Ukraine. Didn't come from Burisma or any of these other things. These Democrats are involved in, bro. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Democrats suck. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Yeah, Gates is like, hey, good point, bro. So (laughs) that's going to work out well for everybody involved. Um, But. Yeah, I think on the the money piece, the funny thing about campaign finance law is like there are so many loopholes you can drive a Mack truck through that things that are perfectly legal and absolutely should not be and that people get away with all the time because they know the specific way to work those loopholes. But if you do it in the wrong way, they will throw the book at you. That's exactly right. There are a million landmines that you can step on. And he appears to have stepped on several of them, one of them being probably straw donors. Like this, I mean, you can't, you can't take money from other people and pretend it's, you know, your, it's your own money and put it into your campaign account. That's one thing that may have happened. It may have been outright fraud. There's all kinds of areas where he probably big time fucked up here. And you can get serious prison time if you uh, break the law, these laws. And this gives the campaign finance system like the veneer of respectability, too. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like how when, you know, when the when they went after Bernie Madoff or now they're going after um, SBF of mm-hmm. FTX, it's like, see, like the system's working. We're going after the bad apples. You know what I'm saying? And right. it's a similar deal here where it's like and that's why. Like the wealthy and connected, usually they exploit these loopholes in a way that is legal, even though it's unethical and immoral. But you need the army of like experts and, and attorneys to, to to tell you how to navigate all this stuff. And if you have some upstart who comes out of nowhere who does it, they don't follow the right procedures. And yes. then they can put their head on a platter and be like, see, it's a good system. And we just took out the bad apples. So I don't even complain about the system. That's very well said. Yeah. Very good point. All right, let's go ahead and get to my interview with Philion. We're going to talk about the Manosphere and also about his channel and what he's up to. Let's get to it. Philion, great to meet you. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to meet you as well. Yeah. So um, first off, for people who aren't familiar with you or your channel, just give us a little bit of backstory. How long have you been? How long have you had your channel? What's kind of your goal over there? What sort of content do you create? Right. So I've been on YouTube for about six years now. I started when I was a freshman in college and it was just something I was doing on the side. And I started in the fitness scene. I was into like powerlifting, bodybuilding, stuff like that. Hmm. If you look at my channel now, it's, it's a lot different than what you see. 
part of it is because I've just grown as a person. My interests changed and stuff like that. But I've always been interested in, you know, economic scams, uh, financial scam, uh, gurus, um, any deep, dark rabbit hole. I just invest myself into and I just can't get enough of it. So alpha males, Internet culture, it's all right up my alley. So did you stumble on a lot of that stuff through your interests in like fitness and bodybuilding? Because there's definitely an, an overlap between the, the alpha male world and that world. For sure. Uh, I, very early on, I realized that there's like a ceiling on the fitness industry in terms of if I was going to be doing YouTube as a career, there's only so many people in that market and there's only so much I could talk about. And what I realized is that there's a lot of like colorful characters within the fitness scene itself. So I started to introduce some like commentary, poking fun at some ideologies, even people's characters, personas that they have in the fitness industry. And then I realized that years ago when I started covering like the whole alpha male thing, nobody was really doing it. So I'd like to think that like I pioneered in a sense, calling that stuff out. Yeah. So you sort of never really fell for it. You always saw it as like somewhat ridiculous or did it appeal to you at first? And then you started to feel like it was a bit of a caricature. I think I always saw right through it, to be honest. Really? I've had positive, normal people in my life and it's just none of it has ever appealed to me. So give me a sense, because to be honest with you. I just in the past several months really became acquainted with this universe whatsoever. I mean, I'm obviously not exactly the target demographic. (laughs) So, you know, and Andrew Tate started really popping up in mainstream culture and he got banned from various social media platforms. That was when I really started to tune into it. And we also on my other show, Breaking Points, um, covered this book that was more of like a sort of progressive approach to masculinity and addressing the, the crisis among men and boys. And so... I've become sort of fascinated only recently, but perhaps you can help us track the rise of the whole manosphere part of the internet since you were a trailblazer in terms of tracking it and covering it. (laughs) Sure. I think the best place to start is probably early 2000s pickup culture. Are you familiar with any of that? Yeah, a little bit. Like the pickup artist stuff. Right. So back in the early 2000s, there were a bunch of men who believed that they can sweet talk their way into sleeping with women. And they would throw conventions. They would have these private communities. They would all speak in like code names. There were a couple big companies. One of the main one was Real Social Dynamics or RSD for short. And what they would do is like they'd be on these forums and they would I guess min max, which means like it's a video game term, but basically it's like minimizing the downsides and maximizing like the outcome. So they would try to like do that with women in regards to sex. And they thought their ability to do that equaled how much of a man they were. Mm. And it became this really one toxic community Two, It's disgusting on the surface. And by like the late 2000s, People started calling it out just for every reason under the sun as it deserves to be. But I'd say. So what what happened was that they would have to dial it back a bit and it would have to be more digestible. And these ideologies that they had from the beginning that was based off of picking up women. And this is just my 
third eye filion analysis of it, but I think the alpha male stuff came from very traditional pickup artistry in the early 2000s. And so the idea, the goal wasn't like, I want a relationship with a woman. It was just like, how many women can I sleep with as a measure of my masculinity? That's basically the idea. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And who were the, who were the types of people that were drawn in by that approach? And is it a similar demographic that is finds appeal in the, the alpha male approach? I would say there's definitely overlap. I wouldn't say they're one for one because I think holding those values that the early 2000s pickup artists have or had is just like, it's just such a self report. It's like, you can't have those ideas in public discourse in the late, you know, uh, 20 teens, 20, like you can't do that in the modern age. So you're so basically like, so basically after like me too and stuff, it sort of changed what you could really say out loud. Is that the idea? I would say so in terms of alpha male stuff as well. Like, I mean, there's a very specific grift within that because it's like a niche within a niche. We're talking about male, male masculinity. And then that, you know, comes into like, there's a bunch of different subcategories. Like back in the day they used to, or even today, it's like the, the fitness side, the finance side. uh, And like, you got to get your bag up. You got to, you got to look like this. This is what a man should be doing. And it's just these arbitrary characteristics that have no real grounding in anything besides of fitting that narrative so to answer your question about if 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 it's the same people i'd say yeah but just as a result of the times it's shifted a bit yeah well it's because it's like diet it's diet (laughs) that's see that's interesting to me because like when i see andrew tate at least it feels like what he's doing is almost like that early 2000s culture on steroids but I'm sure there's like a wide range yeah. of approaches and levels of obnoxiousness. For sure. Andrew Tate is like the hyper hyperbolic example because he's quite literally probably the most famous and the most successful to dominate that niche, that market of people that are looking for a daddy. That's just like what they that's what they want. At the end of the day, they they want to be told exactly what to do how to be successful and he's selling an illusion of the solution. Do you think that so, that in a way, Andrew Tate, need, do you think that daddy need, like, is that a new thing or is that like, is that some void that's been opened up by aspects of our culture or like backlash to me too? And you know, women being more successful in the <laughs> workplace or whatever, or do you that's think that question. that's sort of a, a long-standing I think in a sense it's always been there. A certain group of young but men. I think social media, social media has like exacerbated it. I think older generations simply can't compete with the attention span of their younger counterparts. So if you have a father and a son, the son is going to be on social media almost terminally if they're if they grow up in today's internet culture and like Think, think of it as like, if, if you're a young kid, what are you digesting on social media? The, the dad's going to have no explanation to that. The, the only thing the dad can do is like, try to be the best father, <laughs> but it, 
there's a disconnect in in the ages and and the culture surrounding fatherhood and what it means to be a man it's just and in a lot of ways these alpha males draw from like traditional masculinity and that's just like their biggest selling point and then it gets very political as well so you sort of feel like the daddy issue is a bit of a result of modern cultural disconnect between father and son yeah and it's just a confusing time to be alive i think for everyone but i think it's a cop out to say that like men have an infinitely hard time compared to women women it's just like not you know or it's just like why why are we making that distinction like life is just hard life is suffering and to pretend that like men are superior because they have to you know work for everything in life and this is not me speaking this is rhetoric preached by people like andrew tate or other daddy guru figures (laughs) (laughs) i mean i think the thing that's been funny and fascinating to me is figures like Tate. He poses like he's this very rebellious figure, you know, like he's talking about the Matrix and the Matrix is trying to take me down, etc. And yet the values that he exposes are like the most conventional establishment, like pre-established values that already exist in society, like be consumerist and acquire lots of things and try to get women and try to get that bag and try to look a certain way. It's like. That is what culture preaches every single day. So the fact that you're just going in hard on that, that doesn't make you a rebel. It makes you like an upholder of exactly how things already are. Yeah, if you analyze Andrew Tate long enough, you can realize that he just lives in this blurred amalgamation of hypocrisy. One really blatant one that is rather recent is he converted to Islam. And he also brags about owning casinos and having a cam girl business (laughs) i've spoken to people who are muslim and they're just like that disconnect like that's not that's a joke i um that's just a very surface level yeah i watched a video that you did uh maybe like a year ago where you were uh reacting to one of tate's videos and he was like in his backyard by his pool with like his name in the background or something like that. And he was talking yep. about, first of all, he's making up all these imaginary scenarios and conversations that he was having with women that clearly never actually happened. But also he was talking about <laughs> basically how he would control these women and not let them leave and effectively hold them against their will. And you made a comment like that's not okay or that's illegal. So did you, Like, were you surprised to see him arrested by authorities? What else has he said on camera that would lead you to believe potentially he's involved in an illegal sex trafficking ring? What have you thought about recent events? (laughs) Well, there was a part of me. So I made that video well over a year ago, and it was before his new social media crusade. where It was a very dedicated approach to being like, I will take over the Internet because Tate has been around for years like literally five to six years and he's only cranked it up a notch in the past 12 months. Mm. So I just wanted to make that distinction because there, there have been creators that have covered him. I like to think I was one of the first, but then I came to realize that people have been making memes or commentary videos about Tate for going back at least five years because he's always been an online course seller. He's always been trying to be this elusive entrepreneur on the internet this digital millionaire and 
only when he took this really hyperbolic approach where he hates women or preaches this, you know, horrible rhetoric about women. Like that's when he really blew up along with what a company that was a social media strategy strategy that we haven't really seen before, which is his affiliate marketing program with Hustlers University. So when I made my video, I've never seen him before. And I couldn't tell if he was playing a character or not, because what I'm realizing, even on videos that I'm making now, uh, more long form stuff, is that there is a very real strategy of being hard to define Mm. and saying things just for attention and then hiding behind the character. And it's a very annoying defense technique to deal with, because when you criticize them, all they say is, oh, I was playing a character. And it's like, well, what is real? But they don't want to be defined as anything concrete because then their bit is up. So after I made my video, I did a little bit more research and I was watching his videos that he took down on Tate Speech, which was his YouTube channel. And he has videos that are complete jokes where he's like, you're not a real man unless you drink sparkling water. He just hates regular water. That's for the peasants. If you eat sushi, you're actually gay. And these are all, to me, characteristics of somebody playing a terminally online character that just has these ideals for the sake of having them. And, you know, that's part of the bit. But I think somewhere along the line when he became infamous on social media, right? Are are, are you familiar with like how he blew up or? Not really. I know he has this like Hustlers University thing that seemed like it was a core part of it. But yeah, not so much. Right. So Hustlers University was basically a big discord server where it was $50 to join. But the kicker was that if you got other people to join, you would get 10% affiliate kickback. Meaning if I got you to join, I would receive like $5 for your subscription to Hustlers University, which just granted you access to the discord channel. And then in the discord channel, it was separated into a bunch of different, you know, uh, fitness, uh, like we said before, finance, um, how to get women, just a bunch of different like channels of self-improvement. So with that, so the, the best way to get other people to join, to get your initial investment of $50 back is to just make, and, and this was preached by Andrew and his team is to make content of Andrew. So he had thousands of minions Andrew Tate fanatics, lunatics, trying to make as much money as possible by making content for Andrew. Wow. So it became, it's not a pyramid structure, but it's Andrew at the top and then everyone else as affiliates beneath him. I mean, but it does sound like... As opposed to like a... It does sound like a pyramid structure though, because, I mean, it reminds me of, so... For sure. You know, as a like middle-aged mom... I'm the target for a totally different type of grifter scheme. Like, I don't know if you know these, uh, this like Midwestern mom leggings brand called LuLaRoe that was all the craze a few years back. And it's the same thing. It's like first people actually liked and wanted these leggings, but then the quality, I mean, the leggings, in my opinion, were always ugly as hell, but first they actually had an audience that liked these leggings, but then the real way that you made money on it was to recruit other people under you. I mean, that's the way it is with Amway. That's what it is with all of these schemes. (laughs) 
And so, you know, the product became secondary to just like pretending like you loved the product and convincing your friends and family that they needed to get in on this great deal. It sounds exactly like that to me. It also, frankly, it sounds a lot like crypto too and the kind of um, culture over there where if you uh, say anything negative about whatever coin it is that you're hyping, then you're accused of FUD, fear, uncertainty, or doubt, because it's the same deal. These things only have any value if you can persuade other people that they have value and that they're going to continue to rise in value. Otherwise, they're literally, I mean, it's literally nothing. It's monopoly money. So to me, it has a lot of similar dynamics. And I think there's probably overlap between the type of people who find what what Tate is selling is appealing. Yeah, talk, talk more about that. Right. So let me get back to your original question because I didn't really answer it. There's a Twitter user named Crabman. I think he was taken down in the past, but that's the handle he has now. And he has documented every single thing that is questionable or gross or illegal that Andrew Tate has done. Mm-hmm. And I think he does a very good job of documenting just the sheer facts. So I wasn't really surprised that he was arrested. <laughs> But the the problem I have is that in my head, I for for a little bit, I thought he was playing a full on character because I surround myself with or I don't surround myself with. But the nature of my work requires me to investigate heavily into like online figures. And to me, the easiest explanation was this. This guy's just playing a character and it's a grift and he wants to make as much money as possible. And he recognizes that the easiest way to do that is to say extremely inflammatory stuff. Like, I don't know what he's like as an actual person, but the problem we run into is like. Is there separation between the the, the an actual person and their online persona and a lot of. What I'm realizing intern. Internet people, like true and true people that believe in the internet, they don't want there to be like a, a, they they want a strict distinction. They want to be able to turn off the internet and just like live their life. And then whatever they do online, it's like a free market. Mm. So when it comes to Andrew Tate, it's like, I think. It's Icarus in the sense that like he flew way too close to the sun. You can't be saying that you're actually human trafficking women and expecting not to like raise eyebrows. Like obviously they're going to look into you and the stuff he said regarding like taking their passports, not leaving their compound. Like that's all human trafficking (laughs) if those claims are true. Um, But yeah. Yeah, I've been thinking about that. I, I wouldn't act surprised. I've been thinking about that piece as well, because it's like on a certain level, does it matter whether you're playing a character or not? If people believe what you're saying and it's having this impact on people like they don't view it as, oh, he's just playing a part like an actor in a show. Right. It's it's so annoying to to observe. (laughs) You can't you can't even begin to like break it down because. Once they admit that it's a character or if anything is, you know, uh, exaggerated, then the entire, the entire thing crumbles. Now, I I don't, I don't think Andrew Tate is 100% a character. I think he very clearly has these ideologies that he follows. And, but I think he definitely turns it up a notch because he's very aware of the types of people that he's talking to. 
I think he has, I think he straight up has an analytics team and he knows exactly what to say to bring in fringe people from every single corner of, of internet culture. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I guess I was sort of inclined to feel that way at first. And even when the uh, he was, you know, arrested and the initial allegations came out, I was sort of like, well, maybe, maybe not. But when I saw all the videos of him basically explaining the way that he would control women and lure them in by pretending to be their boyfriend and pretending that they love them and like the strategies that he employed. Yeah, the lover boy I, method. Exactly. I was more persuaded that, oh, no, this is like real criminality. And then I don't know if you did you see the text that came out just recently? I think Vice News got a hold of them where a woman who had accused yep. him of rape. She held on to these texts and voicemails where he was literally like, I liked raping you. And does it make me a bad person that the more you hated it, the more that I liked it? Yeah, it's just like inexcusable, disgusting illegal horrible shit i mean it's yeah yeah it made me think that actually maybe the character almost undersold the level of monster that he really was but like you said i mean with so many of these people they're taking something and hyping it up for clicks and you know to feed their audience what their audience wants to hear and you know, it's all about that versus any sort of real ideology that it can be kind of hard to say. The main main thing that I'm confused about is like, why would you say all this stuff if your goal was to become the biggest person on the Internet? It makes no sense to me. Like you're going to get taken down. <laughs> That's a great point. Although do you have I mean, any insight on that? Like, I don't I don't understand well it. I mean, for some of these people, though, like getting canceled and getting deplatformed makes them richer than ever, because then it feeds into his narrative about like, oh, I'm this anti-establishment and the Matrix is out to get me and I'm a dangerous man. And so then when he's yeah. deplatformed, he's like, oh, it's because I'm saying things that they don't want you to know. So it wouldn't it, it certainly made him more famous. A lot of like sort of normie people who'd never heard of him before know who he is now that had no idea just a couple of months ago. So I think they don't see getting deplatformed and kicked off of uh, various internet platforms as altogether bad. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. But in terms of like going to jail, why would he <laughs> self-report himself like that? Do you think he he had a a God complex. Do you think he was untouchable? Do you think he really thought that he could buy out the Romanian government? That I have no idea, but you know, I feel like there are a lot of people out there who feel like they are, you know, they're total narcissists. They think the rules don't apply to them. And he admitted, he said at least whether this was true or not, that part of why he went to Romania is because he thought they would be easy on him with regards to, you know, rape or sexual assault or sex trafficking or whatever. So maybe yeah. he just thought he was rich enough and famous enough and that the Romanian authorities really wouldn't care ultimately. I also don't understand why he had to keep up. If the allegations are 100% true, why would he have to keep up one, the cam business that he said was laundering dirty money to the human trafficking side of it when he ha when he's a multi multi-millionaire from his stunts with Hustlers University in the war room? alone 
Yeah, see, that at, was at the peak, part that... He was pulling in probably... That was the part that didn't make sense to me as well, because was, it's like, you don't... I mean, not that you ever should run a sex trafficking business, but like, if you found this scummy, you don't have to... You're already wildly wealthy on a lot of other things. So that was what sort of persuaded me that... Oh, no, this guy really is a monster. He's actually more of a monster than he even <laughs> let on in his videos because he he actually likes doing this. This is this is what he gets off on. Yeah, and then like when a I saw those nature to it. Exactly. When I saw those text messages that were like, the more you hated it, the more I liked it. I was like, there you go. This guy's actually like he's actually a, a monster. And, you know, so the the persona, it was like the whole thing was hiding in plain sight. People thought it was a character, but if anything, yeah. it was like dialed back from the reality. That's my that's my assessment today. But I mean, it's impossible to really know. It's just all conjecture. Yeah, it's a wild, wild story. Yes, <laughs> and indeed. he's just like he is. I mean, if you listen to him speak on podcasts. He completely shits on other alpha male gurus in the space. Like he's he kind of positions himself as like the apex mm. and everyone else is like a joke. He's top G, Which, right? Yeah, it's, he's just the top G. <laughs> Talk about some of the other characters who are Andrew Tate adjacent. Number one's his, his brother, Tristan. Do you know much about him or just that he also got arrested? Okay. So one of the grossest things I think, and it makes me just like you said, like it very well could be just monsters hiding in plain sight. In fact, that's a very reasonable conclusion to come to considering what I'm about to say. Like Tristan had a sex journal, so he would, and you could buy it. I think it was on Gumroad or Substack or one of those like alternate platforms. Basically, he would have sex with a woman and then like document his experience and like rate it. And then like all the followers would like buy it and like glorify Tristan and be like, oh, this guy's the man. Like he gets so much. He gets so much sex. He's <laughs> I thought that was really weird. There, There's a very weird psychosexual thing going on with everything involved in the Tates. It's just like. <laughs> yeah yeah that is really bizarre and really disgusting um what are the so you did i actually saw the first video i saw you do was on um gary v who you know it's a totally different model within this ecosystem but like what's the lane that he's sort of right. occupying gary v is i would not say anywhere close to the alpha male realm I would say he's, I mean, for a fact, he's in the crypto NFT space. That's where he's positioned himself. Mm -hmm. And as someone who, you know, grew up with social media and it's my career now, someone who's obsessed with social media, I, I find his approaches to things just like weird, not good advice. Uh, he has a very young audience from what I understand. I, I can't picture, I mean... Uh, videos will tell me otherwise, but I can't picture a grown person watching Gary Vee unironically and being inspired. Maybe I'm missing something, but it's just it's bizarre to me. Um, but there are adults who love Gary Vee, and I, it's a very 
it's a part of the internet that is so innocent that like I, I'm not around, so I can't really speak too much on it. But it, it it's like Facebook moms and you know kids who scroll endlessly on uh, Instagram Reels. Hmm. Gary V preaches quantity over quality above all. He's like, just post, post, post. You got you know you got to like the guy has millions of posts, <laughs> like, and he doesn't say anything. He says so much without any actual. There's no substance. So to me, it's just, it's a weird person to analyze. I I don't agree with a lot of his crypto stuff. I think he's very sketchy when it comes to NFT sales. For example, there have been influencers such as Logan Paul and Mr. Beast on Logan Paul's podcast. And they talked about how Gary V got a bunch of influencers, high profile people into a call, told them to buy something called CryptoPunks or as another NFT project. And that is like market manipulation. That's called painting the tape. (laughs) And then he's got his whole V friends thing, which is like, he'll draw on like a Starbucks napkin and it's the worst shittiest doodle I've ever seen. And he'll put it on the blockchain and sell it. And it'll be like, you know, the, the prideful pig or the, he'll just (laughs) add like an alliteration, the beautiful butterfly. And that is supposed to have some deep meaning. It's, one, it's a slap in the face to artists that actually believe in the technology, if they even do. But it's just a disgrace to art in itself. Like, <laughs> how, he's making millions of dollars off of the dumbest shit, and I don't get it. So that's that's my Gary V rant. Are there figures in this space? Because, I mean, clearly there is this this issue of young men looking for daddy, looking for guidance, trying to find their way in the world, feeling sort of lost and adrift. And like, you know, as a as a lefty, my analysis of this is basically the culture tells you that to be a real man, you got to get the bag and you got to get the girls. And then it's sort of cut off all of your a, a lot of ability to be able to earn an income and be able to provide and have that like, you know, American dream life that you're told you're supposed to be able to achieve. And so it seems to me like there's a real need here for some sort of more positive guidance that doesn't just lead you on a a garden path to Andrew Tate. Ultimately, do you see anyone out there who is providing, you know, who is meeting this need in a more positive and more honest and less grifty kind of a way? So you're asking if if I see a daddy figure out there that. That I yes. that I appreciate. That you could get behind a daddy figure. You could get behind that you would endorse. <laughs> uh, it gets dicey because humans are fallible. Uh, you know they're fallible, and everyone has their demons and their skeletons in their closet. And I only know their online persona unless I've literally met them in person. But my best advice is to not have a daddy figure. Mm. I'm very into intrinsic motivation or intrinsic intrinsic motivational factors and and. Instead of extrinsic, I wouldn't look at other people and aspire to be them. I would look internally and focus on yourself and figure one, figure out who you are Two, I think a lot of men don't go to therapy. They'll literally start a podcast before they do that. (laughs) They don't have they don't have a, a solid social circle. Whether it's a lot of weak connections or or no friends like lonely men are a thing there is a reason why incels exist um so i think self development in itself is 
paramount. That should be the goal for a lot of people, but it shouldn't be. It should be self-evident in a lot of ways, and it's not for a lot of people, and that's what gets exploited. Because if it's taught properly, if you grow up in a a loving, comforting environment that, you know, that is quote-unquote healthy, you kind of develop in that way. You're a product of your environment, but a lot of people don't have that environment. So to pick one person that I would, like, look up to, I I would say that's, like, a flawed question. So I, I don't see anyone that I would call my daddy. <laughs> I think that's a great answer. What do you think that a better uh, image of masculinity would be? That's not that just like, you know, how much money do you, what's in your bank account and who's in your bed? Right. I hate that definition of masculinity. It's one, it's just so, I don't know, reductionist. Like it, I'm not impressed by who you sleep with or how much money you have. (laughs) Like, I think people, their entire value systems are just off. You have to be one, a kind, good person. I think that's just like, that's baseline Two, I think you should, shouldn't have these strict guidelines of what it, what it means to be a man. I think you should develop as a person and follow your interests and passions. I think although masculinity in the current sphere is it, it's based off of like traditionalism in a sense where the man provides the man was always strong the man you know uh take takes care of his wife like and yeah that may have worked in the past but like we don't live in the past anymore um i think a lot of men fall victim to like these strict masculine uh character traits that are just don't mean anything like um you know if you see a guy painting his nails he's automatically gay meanwhile like for example i've painted my nails before and i've experimented it experimented with it in my videos because i wanted to see what like what my audience thought of it so i painted Mm. them black and immediately i've had people in the comments just like write me off because i painted my nails and it's just like those small things that actually mean nothing and don't impact people's life they hyper fixate on because they have these strict uh things in their brain that they think like can't happen <laughs> mm. yeah so, sorry a, i spiraled a little bit but it's just no, like i think it's a great point though it's frustrating yeah and so you're basically saying that the whole idea of having a certain set of qualities that's like these are the things you should aspire to to be a man you think that whole idea and concept is sort of silly or a fool's errand or ultimately archaic that's a good word yeah but there are some values that i can appreciate that are rooted in traditional masculinity like i think you should be a strong person physically mentally spiritually i think you should be there for your wife but these are not it's that should just be the status quo that doesn't make you like a manly man that just should be you if that makes sense and do you think that those qualities to aspire to are different if you're a man versus if you're a woman or do you think they're sort of universal i think they're rather universal yeah um last thing i want to i agree i I agree with you and i think i mean i think some of it is universal like there are just 
good qualities that make you a good human being beyond, you know, your uh, sex or gender. Um, And then some of it is also like your own personal strengths or interest or what is going to lead to a level of contentment, confidence and fulfillment within your own life. You know, so I I actually really get from you that idea of you, you can't have a cookie cutter approach and you're not going to get there by having some internet daddy figure, um, even one who, you know, may have better (laughs) values than, and then Andrew Tate or (laughs) not be scamming you like Gary Vee or whatever. So, um, it's actually, it's actually quite insightful. It's funny. It's funny that like when people actually go outside and touch grass, they realize that everything Mm -hmm. online is like not real or applicable. I actually like just, people operate and think completely different than yes. <laughs> what they do on and say online. I actually just, whoa, I actually just um, was looking at a study of which professions make people the happiest and uh, which places we report being the happiest in and also what activities we report being the happiest doing. And so the occupations, okay. the happiest people were lumberjacks and farmers <laughs> So it was like being outside in nature, working with your body, producing some tangible result. And uh, you want to take a guess who yeah. the most miserable people were? Inside office work. Uh, you nailed it. You know, computer screen. Yes, no you sunlight. nailed it. <laughs> and specifically, it was uh, the most miserable people were lawyers and bankers. Because <laughs> it's like, not mm. only are you inside staring at a screen doing like tedious boring work intangible work but oftentimes it's probably also immoral so like if you're on wall street or you know if you're a certain type of lawyer there's that side to it yeah so i thought that was interesting it was very similar to um people reported being the happiest when they were either uh at their church or place of worship outside or at someone else's house which I thought was really fascinating as well. Hmm. And um, the activities went right along with it that they reported like being the happiest while they were doing. It was like going to church, doing some sort of physical activity or caring for somebody either in their family or not in their family. So just like caring for another human being. So, you know, I'm sh- it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it data, it's, it's imperfect, total sense but to me. <laughs> it speaks to these sort of deep human values, which are really kind of directly at odds with the, with what the Andrew Tates of the world are selling, which is like, oh, the way to happiness is through, you know, buying more things and having more luxury goods and basically treating other people like shit and caring only for yourself. Yeah. 100% agree. There's also other characters. I know you asked me like the alpha male thing, but mm-hmm. uh, like, are you familiar with Jay Waller? Not at all. So he's the red hair tall guy who's in Andrew Tate's circle as well. So it's Andrew Tate, Tristan Tate, Jay Waller, sartorial shooter. And then this other guy, I think his name is Sam. He wears a hat and apparently he's a hypnotist. And then there's also Sterling Cooper, who's an adult male star. And they each have like their very stratified social media courses that they sell. And the interesting thing with Jay Waller, I would have to do more research on it, but I, I, I was sent an email about Jay Waller's mom. So this guy's like a 35-year-old grown-ass man, and his mom 
reached out to a bunch of people on the internet and was like, yeah, my son is just like, I don't, I don't agree with any of this. This is not who he is. He's a sweet young boy and he's doing this as like a bit. And I just thought that was very interesting because she has interviews on YouTube talking about how her son is like a completely different person than what he portrays. And it gets interesting when you also look at, I mean, I know why they do it, but if you ever look at the way Andrew Tate and his clan talks, it's typical marketing copywriting with the spaces in between the very succinct, you know, uh, short like clauses. And then, uh, there's usually like an inflammatory piece and then it's like, boom, sell. Mm. It's like, it's, it's just a marketing thing. 24 seven. I just thought that was interesting too. one yeah, bring that- up to analyze and yeah. That is fascinating. Well, it speaks to your part about how much these people are just playing characters for cash versus actually believing what they say. Yeah. But then, like I said, the other question is, does it really matter whether it's a character or whether it's real? If you've got no, people I, I don't who really buy it. I don't think it does matter. Yeah, I think I, I think it's a cop out. Like I said before, if, if you're playing a character long enough, you just become the character, because if you're refusing to be defined by anything concrete, then like you live in this ephemeral like mystique that it's just you can deflect any negativity and just you know like in enforce tribal warfare with your own community against other people it's like when andrew tate said um you know i got three lives the first one is deep deplatforming me the second one is throwing me in jail third is killing me so he's like couple months ago he was like you know they already deplatformed me i only got two lives left next they'll throw me in jail what happens he gets thrown in jail what does his audience do see look daddy tate predicted this it's like a criminal (laughs) doing illegal things and then being and then saying they're going to get thrown in jail and then getting thrown in jail like why is that a surprise to you it's just a confirmation bias yeah and using the fact that you got uh caught committing crimes as like proof that the that the man is out to get you versus proof that you actually committed crimes and belong in prison. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, it's been really uh, wonderful talking to you. And I feel like I, um, you gave me a lot to think about with regards to the space and life and daddy figures and all the rest. Um, Do you know what video you're working on next? What are you posting on your channel next? So I have like a weird approach right now because i'd like to think that i have like four different audiences i have the fitness people from all the way back in the day i have commentary videos which is like the andrew tate stuff the manosphere critique stuff like that i have mini documentaries and then i have people that just watch me just for me which i can appreciate thank you but (laughs) the problem with that is like people don't know what i'm going to upload next and if i do it's like some people might hesitate because it's like, oh, I didn't subscribe for this. I subscribe for that. So my approach now is just going to be make commentary videos because one, they're it's like a lighter workload for me. I enjoy making them and I think they're funny while I work on big stuff behind the scenes. So I have two huge projects that are coming out this year. One, I, I don't really like to like say what they are because then. Like, I guess, journalistically, I don't want other people to, like, go for it. But uh, one of them is. It's in the crypto space, and the other one, the other one is a fully produced documentary that will test my filmmaking skills. And it's a it's a true crime story. So I'll say that. 
That's amazing. Well, keep us posted on what you're up to. Would love to talk to you about, um, you know, either one of those projects or or both of them potentially. And the crypto stuff is something that I've also been really fascinated with because, uh, similar to you, I'm sort of really drawn in by what makes a con man tick and, you know, the various levels of grift and who's susceptible to it and what it says about our society that there seemed to be such an opening right now, maybe a kind of like uniquely large opening for these grifters and um, charlatans to take advantage of people and speak to whatever it is that they're missing in their life and whatever it is that they're looking to get out of these things. So um, would love to have you back. Thank you for taking the time. And lastly, tell people where they can find you. Of course. Thank you for having me. You just search me up Philion on YouTube and Instagram, Twitter. It's third eye of truth. And yeah, hope to see you guys. All right. Thanks so much. Take care. All right, y'all. We are here. I am back. Um, <laughs> so I, I would have liked to participate in that conversation, but we had we, we had we're a mess. We got a bunch of stuff going on. We didn't record this on the normal day that we recorded, and it was a logistical headache, so I couldn't really squeeze in. But anyway, I'm back now. So. Yeah. Well, you got to listen to the conversation. No, though, so. not really. I got to listen to your end of the conversation. Right. I didn't hear his <laughs> end of the conversation, but I was able to pick up on certain things you guys were talking about. Yeah. So let me let me run by you something that he was saying, because okay. I think you might have some thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. So I asked him basically like, all right, well, are there better role models for young men in the YouTube ecosystem than like, and you know, Andrew Tate or Gary Vee or whoever? And he was basically like, don't look for a daddy figure. Like you have to figure this out kind of like internally going after, even if it's a more positive or more, um, you know, reasonable individual alternative is going to lead you to not the greatest place because ultimately then you're just slavishly following somebody else, even if they have a somewhat better ideology. What do you think of that? I I don't think that's possible. I mean, I think people are people. And so they're naturally gonna search out, um, you know, somebody who has some sort of behavior that is appealing to them for whatever reason. And then they're like a North star and you try to like measure yourself up, self up in accordance with what they are. Some people are lucky to have that in like a father figure or like an uncle, other people, you know, are not as lucky. And so that's kind of, I think, why people end up searching out stuff on YouTube that, you know, scratches whatever particular itch they have. So, I mean, in an ideal world, what he's saying, I think, makes sense. In an ideal world, it's like, you know, don't, don't look to anybody in particular. You don't need a daddy figure. You could figure this out on your own. I just don't think that's feasible. You know, think about how malleable, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 year olds are. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they're not going to piece things together by themselves. And so in the YouTube ecosystem, I tend to agree with them. There's not much in terms of like daddy figures or positive role models. I mean, I, I'm almost inclined to say anybody who's who's covering something is passionate about something and who's like very truthful and principled is somebody you can look up to. But sometimes it just gets difficult because those people might not talk about the particular life guidance things that a lot of these young people are looking for. You know what I mean? So like if you look at somebody like CoffeeZilla, he's doing great work on scams and whatnot. And, you know, he's essentially a role model for a young kid. Look, hey, look, this guy's got a cool job and he he talks about things that are important and he's trying to help people and and avert them from scams. And and so, like, I would almost give that advice. Right. Like anybody doing anything that comes from a good place is productive and they're like a good person. Go for it. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, I mean, 
Well, I, I honestly do... think in fictional characters you might see more, or in like the sports world you might mm. see more of like, well, that's what a, a you know a role model looks the like. The archetype of the male role yeah, model would look like. Of course. I mean, I think because somebody sent me this other dude uh, this morning who they were like, maybe this is the positive alternative to Tate. And I was looking at it and there was like nothing objectionable. It seemed very affirmative and like you have to give boys the space to be the lamb, but the tools to be the lion. That was like kind of the messaging from him, which again, like that's, that's fine. There's something though that I just have spidey senses go off anytime anyone is positioning themselves as like motivational speaker or right. life coach or whatever. Yeah. There's something sort of inherently potentially manipulative, scammy, whatever about putting yourself into that role. So I think what you said makes a lot of sense about like, maybe don't look for that person who's holding themselves out as like, you should be like me. I've got this all figured out. I've got the life advice that's going to set you on the right path. And instead look at people who are doing things that you respect and admire and see the way that they're doing them, the way that they're carrying themselves, the principles that they seem to bring to that. And maybe that's a better approach to this than looking for the person who's actively like, I'm going to fix you and your life up. Yeah. So um, just to give a couple examples, uh, John Stewart would have been a good example. You know, when mm, I was growing up, like yeah, John Stewart's got this good show and he's doing good work and he's funny and he's interesting and he comes across as a very like honest, truthful, well-meaning man who sticks by his word. You know what I mean? Um, in the sports world, LeBron James is yeah. a good example mm -hmm. of somebody who's kind of, and you could, you know, nowadays you could point to, well, he said some yikesy things on China or has like bad business relationships with them. But like in terms of how he leads the team, how he connects with the players, how yeah. he comes across, same thing. Tiger Woods putting aside his affair with 917 <laughs> women. Um, you know, outside of that, I mean, this is a man, I, I looked up to him just because he was like the epitome of like the warrior with the spirit that never dies, who well, always no, fights on. And, no you know one's I mean? going to be perfect. Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. everyone is going to have a piece of the puzzle that you can look to. And it's not, you're, you're never going to find, yeah, I mean, there is no perfect human being. Everybody has their flaws and failings and foibles and all the rest. So I think looking for pieces that you can take from different people that you respect and admire is probably a good direction. Even that I kind of disagree with just because people can be dumb, especially young people. And so it's just like this very, this innate thing of like, I need some sort of a, you know, de facto daddy who I kind of look up to. And so for my generation, for myself and for many others, it was Tiger. And it's like, you know, he never gives up. The guys won, won golf tournaments with like a destroyed back with on one leg. He won the U.S. Open in 2008. You know, he uh, he always persevered. He'd win by 12 strokes, 15 strokes. And it was just that's something that you look at and it almost feels it's almost like demigod like mm. it's like not really human. And so that in turn makes you want to strive to do really great, do the best that you can sort of overcome any obstacles and hurdles in your way, commit to something. Um, and I mean, I think that's a good lesson, which is why I have my silly life philosophy, which I call passionism, which I talked a little bit about on the PBD podcast when I was talking to those guys. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think from what I heard of the conversation, yeah. it was a good conversation that you had with them, the yeah. voice that you were making and stuff. Um, but well, hold on. I have one, yeah. one other mm -hmm. question for you, because I asked him like, so the way he got into focusing in on the manosphere. He does a lot of other content too, but this is a like particular lane for him and he's been covering it for like six years. Is he actually started out in the fitness and bodybuilding area? So he's start consuming a lot of content, watching a lot of YouTubers in that space. 
And then as a sort of like corollary to that, he started seeing this thing develop and seeing the ideologies that were being espoused. And so I asked him, like, did this ever appeal to you? Was there a part of you that was like, that initially was like, oh, that's interesting. And he was basically like, no, I thought it was ridiculous from the start. Um, But you talked about how some of the like pickup culture in the early, like, yeah, so there were some pieces of that that you were sort of drawn to. At okay. The time. Yeah. So let me, let me explain that. Yeah. First of all, no, my instinct is actually exactly with him. And I reacted the same way to the stuff that was that silly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are people who are sort of like an embodied caricature and it's like, you look at them and you immediately know they're Very ridiculous. Obvious. If you have yeah. any, like, if you are not naive and not gullible, if you have like an, just an inkling of skepticism in you, anybody like that is going to look at that and be like, <laughs> This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. You know what I mean? So I actually was a lot like him. In terms of the comments that I made on on the other show, it was more about, you know, I want practical advice on how to be attractive to women. And what you do is I never in my life went to any of those like pickup artist channels or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. every now and then you'd stumble across something or you read something that's almost like a tip. Like, mm. uh, you know, they'll want you more if you don't text back for two hours or whatever. And, and, you know, at the time you read it and you're like, that's probably true. And by the way, it was true when you're when you're a teen. That told, that's totally, <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's true. So like, so, you know, I, I don't begrudge any young, <laughs> lonely boy from like trying to find tactics or, or practical skills that would make them themselves more attractive. I mean, a lot of the stuff is common sense, like, hey, have good hygiene, take a shower, you know, get a haircut, shave, whatever, like s- simple things like that. Um, but yeah, the, the overall picture always looked ridiculous, ridiculous and yeah. absurd to me because, and it's also like part of the problem with it is, and this is also what frustrates me about it, is you're focusing on the wrong things. Like they they propose it, like, if you do these things, if you act like this, you're going to get the women, you're going to get the money, and then you're going to be great. And it's like, I hate to tell you, bro, there are so many people with women and with money who are absolutely miserable. That's It's like you're, you're, you're just going down the wrong path. You're, you're going in the wrong the direction. Wrong goal, yeah. Right. Which is why, again, to me, the things that always were the people that were more inspiring and more interesting were like sports stars or people who were political figures who I admired. Because clearly what they were doing is in the in the realm of sports, it's like trying to be the best they could possibly be to even like get their name in, in the history books where it's like, you'll always remember this person because they were amazing. Or in the political realm, it's like uh, have a, a wonderful, wonderful ideas, a wonderful life philosophy, diagnose problems correctly so that you can like improve society for everybody. So it's like, you know, that's again, that's something else that is like, it, it's, it outlives your own life in a way, you know what I mean? And so it's like creating good, not just for you, it's for society in general. And that always appealed more to me because any sort of like, um, like hedonistic pursuits by definition, they die with you anyway. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of fruitless. And, um, it, it's to go down that consumerist capitalist, uh, pipeline is just it's definitely not, going the wrong way. It's like never going to feed yeah, you. Like it's even, never going to bring you fulfillment. If somebody listens to Andrew Tate perfectly and does everything they say and they embody that lifestyle, that person is more likely than not to be absolutely miserable. Absolutely miserable. So I was like, why? what are you doing? You know yeah. what I mean? So that, that's why I kind of agree with him that immediately it's like, oh, this stuff is silly. You gotcha. Know? Gotcha. So. Well, it was fun talking to Philly on and always fun being with you beautiful people out there. Um, if you have not already subscribed on Substack, go ahead and do that. There's the paid version that you get full video day in advance. <laughs> Putting on my glasses. They look kind of good on you. What do you think? 
Too feminine? Yeah. Too feminine. They're only like a little bit feminine. No, they're too feminine. <laughs> yeah, they're too I feminine. I think you can pull it off. Says the guy with bleached blonde hair. <laughs> this Bro, is this what, is too far. This is too much. This is what the, the pickup <laughs> dudes would have told you. Glasses well, take, are too take much, the glasses but this? Off. <laughs> right on. Don't mm-hmm. text her back and take the glasses off. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> All right. We love y'all. We'll see you next week. <laughs>